It's time to dive into the latest news and updates from the Vegas Golden Knights. This is Nighttime at Noon on Fox Sports Las Vegas. And here we go. Welcome to Nighttime at Noon. He is Shane Knighty. I am Brian McCormick. Dakota Miller spinning the ones and twos. And George Lopez on the other side of the glass as we talk game two. Get you ready for game three. Take a lap around the Stanley Cup playoffs as a whole. Lots to get to. And Shane, game two last night, uh, the Montreal Canadiens, they returned serve uh, and proved that they have a, uh, a formula to be competitive in this series for, for people who thought this might be a quick one. Yeah. It still very well could be, but they did their job in game two. And there's two parts to that. So, yes, the Montreal Canadiens, their formula has been throughout these playoffs to get the lead. Yeah. That has been their success. When they get the lead, they try to lock it down. They try to play a certain way. They have Carey Price and Ned, who's they feel extremely comfortable playing in front of a goaltender like that when they have the lead. Yeah. The flip side, part two, is the Golden Knights. It was a 6 o'clock start, not a 7. <laughs> um, they just weren't ready, and that's that's been a running trend for the team. And, and I know a lot of guys and coach spoke about it after the game, and they need to find a way to get ready. And, and to me, that is preparation. That's routine. That's how they, uh, you know, you come to the rink. And, and to me, you come out to that crowd, I'm ready to go, you know, at warm-up. So that, that's going to be an area for the Golden Knights. They certainly need to work on and pay attention to it. It's, it's been addressed, and it's probably become a bit redundant because yeah. I think it was an issue in the Colorado series as well. They were able to overcome it, but it's hard to chase the game in this league. It's hard to come from behind. Uh, you know, if you give one, then two, then unfortunately it was three. Um, but the Golden Knights, I thought, got going in the second. You know, they are up. It was two two nothing game Montreal, and there was points where you know Vegas the the post by Pacioretty, uh, Martinez, you know a little backdoor play had the net had everything. It went past Price and then up and over the net. Um, you know those two plays would have cut it to a one goal game. And um, you know Vegas, when I look at the Golden Knights, and, and this is something that even go back to the the Minnesota series, for them to get going, it has taken a goal. Mm-hmm. You know you, a spark. They, a spark. And, and, and they can't continue to wait for that first goal to become the spark for this team to turn it around. So that's going to be uh, the, the issue they need to address. I still believe and fully to behind the thought process that the Golden Knights, it's all about execution, the game plan. If they execute and play the way they can, we saw it for, you know, 40 minutes, they're going to be the better team. They're, yeah. they're, they, they give themselves an opportunity to win each and every night. Um, but it, it's hard. You're not going to dominate all 60 minutes, but – Stick to their game plan. Play the right way. They can't go long stretches like, oh, you know, first 10 minutes of a game, first five, for, you know, or, you know, 10 minutes off in a period isn't good enough. They, they should be able to control this team. And uh, I think the one thing we've seen, the resilient, and they should be able to bounce back for game three. You know what's interesting, Shane? I was I was sitting a little closer last night than I usually do. Best yeah. best angle I've had at T-Mobile, which is, was a lot of fun. But you mentioned the uh, – Coming into this series, I think people said, with all due respect, that between the two rosters, there's a bit of a talent disparity. That's not to say Montreal doesn't have it, just that there's bigger guns on the Vegas side. That's fairly understood. There isn't a a hard work disparity, necessarily. And you see the Canadians come out at the beginning of Game 2, like they did in Game 1. There's a bit of desperation there, and not must-win game desperation. It's an understanding that for their formula to work, they need to get out to a good start. They need to... 
either strike first or set the tone first. So it's it's not a desperation so much as, as an urgency that we saw from them, and I thought that was really embodied in the plays of the likes of Josh Anderson yeah. and Arturi Lekin, and you could see that in the first 10 minutes. Uh, urgency and, their, and an understanding uh, of the way they need to play. And, yeah. You know, uh, I had a chance to, you know, ran into Scott Mellon, the assistant general manager, former teammate, uh, for the Montreal Canadiens, he's uh, the assistant general manager there. Before the game, we were just talking. He said, well, we, we need to play as near perfect game as we can to beat you guys. That, mm-hmm. That's the way we do it. We need to have that work ethic and, and to make sure we try and shut you down the best we can. And, and they were able to do it. He said the lead, you know, extremely important to build confidence for that team. And that's one of the things that, you know, I've watched the Golden Knights since year one. And they, they I, I don't think they're the type of team to take an opponent lightly. Yeah. Uh, and if anything, they should have in their memory what happens to teams that do that because they were that team in game, year one that went all the way to the Stanley Cup final and the way they played. And they need to have a bit of that back. That, that you, we, I don't like the word desperation because I don't think you're desperate, but no. urgent. You should have yeah. urgency to your game regardless of if you're the favorite or not. Or it, It's playoffs. You're playing for the ultimate prize, the Stanley Cup. That alone sends the message of urgency that's needed uh, to get to that final goal. It's like situational awareness. In this period, yeah. who do we need to be? Yeah. In Montreal last night in the first period, they knew who they needed to be. Now, now after the game, head coach Pete DeBoer was uh, – f- the question was phrased to him, how did they lock you guys down, essentially, in game two? And he pushed back on that uh, that idea. Here's what Pete DeBoer had to say post game. Well, I mean, they're, they're a good defensive team. I, I'm not sure that we got locked down tonight. I thought we, we generated enough chances to – to dig our way, uh, uh, scratch our way back into that game, you know. Um, again, you know, so a little, a little uh, uh, unfortunate on some of our opportunities, some posts, and uh, he made some saves when he had to. I, you know, I don't think it was a case of of us getting locked down once we got behind. I actually thought we we generated some really good looks over the last forty minutes. And you know, what's interesting is. I agree. The, the Vegas Golden Knights weren't locked down, but what they were, from Montreal's perspective, I guess, was, was managed. And as in the third period, I thought when the Vegas Golden Knights really picked it up, maybe Montreal sat back a little too much. But it looked like Montreal got out to a lead, a two-goal lead they knew they could manage. They pitched around the Vegas Golden Knights the rest yeah. of the night, and they were able to, to take it to the, to the finish line. But as Pete DeBoer mentions, it is easy to forget when the pucks don't go in. The opportunities that were there, Max Pacioretty hits a post. Uh, Alec Martinez was flat-out robbed. Like The opportunities were there, and a very lopsided first period probably clouds the progression of the Vegas Golden Knights the rest of the evening. Uh, yeah, I, I'm with you. I agree completely with the statement by Pete DeBoer that, yeah, they didn't shut them down. They didn't clear away. Golden Knights were still able to create the grade-A chances. Uh, you know, there's games where you may have 45 shots and it's all outside perimeter. That's more of a lockdown. I thought the Golden Knights were able to get to the inside to create the chances they needed. They had they had more than enough opportunities to tie that game. It just it didn't come. And part of that is they need that same mentality in the first period. It's, um, it, it's a tough league, and, and we talk. You hear it from every coach about getting the lead. Certainly, one goal. It's great to get that first goal, but you can't dwell on it if you don't. It's extending at two, three goals, and then it's really tough because you force the other team into a situation where they are going to take a little more chance to their game. There's going to be a little opportunity that if a team does lock it down, usually they'll get chances off a little bit of cheat for offense by the opposition. And I didn't think the Golden Knights did that. They didn't really compromise themselves defensively. I just think they turned it up to the level they need to play at for a full 60. Shane, I think when we look at a playoff series, early in the series – 
we really put everything under the microscope. And as the series goes on, and we have a, lot, a larger sample size, we kind of broaden out. Now, again, the Montreal Canadiens won last night because you don't get to the third round of the playoffs without knowing how to win in the playoffs. The formula they have, you know, it, the question is, can they do it four times? You tell me if I'm wrong. I think there are different kinds of wins and different kinds of losses in the playoffs. When the silver, when the Golden Knights—that's a bad habit. When the Golden, <laughs> when the Golden Knights lost Game One against Colorado, after that game, Pete DeBoer was calm, team was calm, but there are fans who are saying, "All right, what's the answer for that?" And you found out what that was. I think last night's loss for the Golden Knights—it isn't a 50-save. Carey Price loss where you say like okay let's see him do that four yeah. times it was a Canadians team that won with a good Carey Price they didn't win because of Carey Price I think we learn much more about what the Montreal Canadiens need to be to win versus what the Vegas Golden Knights have to find an answer for does that make sense yeah that makes a lot of sense because they haven't seen this team a lot so you're learning more and more in each and every game you play them and you know they, they've showed to themselves when they when they play the way they need to they can take over the game. Um, and both these games were similar in, in some ways. And you look at game one. They had the slow start. Fleury made a couple of huge saves. They weren't happy with their start. But they were able to bounce back. Yeah, They were able to come and get it. So you move on from that game. And you think, okay, we need to start better. It doesn't sink in as deep as when, okay, it's happened again. We didn't have the start. We lost. <laughs> that sits sits uh sinks in a little deeper that time you know and it hits home that okay reality is we we can't continue down this path we can't afford to come out not ready to play with our a game right off the drop of the puck and and it'll sink in more after a loss so uh that said that i didn't expect them just to run through this series the montreal canadians as you mentioned earlier you don't get to this point of the final four unless it's earned and they're a team that's going to go back now they did exactly what they wanted if you're them coming in those first two games getting the split in vegas and golden knights now their job is to go back and we don't lose two in a row we're going to go into montreal i think they'll be comfortable it'll be it'll be a good atmosphere they'll have i think they're allowed 3500 fans and uh it's one of my favorite buildings i ever played in uh when it's full it's massive i think they can get up to 21,000 yeah, yeah. it's uh so it's a lot of fun to be there. It's really usually good atmosphere. But I think the Golden Knights, are, they're a proud team. Uh, they don't like to lose, and that's a good thing because you, you need to have that memory. Just like a win, a loss is the same thing. You forget it, you learn from it, and you move on, and you try to be better that next game. And just to round out the topic, again, one of the differences between Game 1 and Game 2 is Game 1, the Canadians come out with a flourish, but they don't score. Vegas does. Yeah. They build a lead, and they controlled the pace the rest of the way. Montreal had to kind of take those jumps. Last night, not as much the case, and Pete DeBoer spoke post-game about the challenges of falling into a hole against the Canadians, especially going against Carey Price. You know, again, I, I, I thought I thought the second period and the third period, we we, uh, we we did a lot of good things, you know, put a lot of pressure on them, got some really good looks, uh, you know, and, and particularly, you know, over the last five minutes. Uh, but, you know, even prior to that, um, you know, I, I thought we had some good lucks. We just, you know, you, you can't uh, can't fall behind that much that early. And, and, you know, it's not even one goal. You know, when you get down two, it's just really hard to come back. I mean, we've done it before. We did it in the Colorado series. But you're, you're playing with fire uh, when you do that. And, uh, and we got burned tonight. And we've summarized a lot of that again. It was yeah. it was just a steep hill to climb. Now, one of the things that also makes that steep hill a little bit steeper is 
when your lineup isn't your game one lineup necessarily, and Chandler Stevenson was, was missing for the Golden Knights in game two. Uh, they had a couple of lineup shuffles during the game to accommodate for that, Shane, but how did you think that they handled that? Because Max Pacioretty, Mark Stone, they still got their chances. They did, but it, it took a little while, and, and Pete DeBoer, made, which he does, he makes in-game adjustments. Started with Nick Waugh on that line, then he moved Nick Waugh back with the Anmark and Tuck, that line which he thought was excellent in game one. He thought yeah. that was their best line, so Kolasar gets that opportunity, who hasn't played with those guys. I thought he, he stepped up and played well. Mark Stone talked about it, thought he was moving, um, but it's certainly not the same. As having Chandler Stevenson, his speed backs off, uh, you know, the defenders of the opposition so much, and it allows room for Stone and Pacioretty. Uh, that said, every team has to deal with it. Sure. Everybody, injuries are a part of it. Guys are, are banged up to, to some extent at this time of the year, and you play through it or you have a guy out, and it's another guy stepping up. And, and something that's been a strength of the Golden Knights has been their depth. We saw, we've seen it, it come through. Uh, you know, one of the issues going forward is they're going to need some production from up front. That's uh, five goals now from the defense group. Yeah. And, hey, I'm all for the defense uh, offense. <laughs> I'm I'm a big proponent of the defenseman, but uh, a card carrying you, supporter. You've got you've <laughs> got to get the guys up front uh, scoring some goals, and uh, I'm sure you know everything. They'll look over the tape. They'll look over try and find areas, and and this goes back to these two teams. It's such a unique season where you don't see a lot of that either yeah. than on film. Um, and it's different than when you actually get on the ice against the opponents. And it's not only, you know, their team structure, their team game. It's individuals, individuals' tendencies, their habits, uh, especially for a guy like Marc-Andre Fleury who hasn't seen these guys, which guys shoot yeah. this way. And Carey Price would be going through the same thing. So there, there are certain things that you would expect the Golden Knights can make adjustments to as they, they, they kind of understand now their opponent and uh, make the right adjustments so that they can find ways to, to get better and try to find a way to get uh, some more goals and certainly see the, the offense up front produce. And there was a bit of a face-off disparity last yeah. night against Montreal, too. That's a Chandler-Stevenson no, impact that he would make, and especially when you look at Shea Theodore, Alex Petrangelo last night. They, they are generating off of draws, so that's a gap I'm sure they'd like to close. We'll touch more on that on the other side of the break. But uh, important for you to know that Bill and Carol Foley created the Foley Food and Wine Society to celebrate – Three of their greatest passions, world-class wines, exceptional cuisine, and outstanding travel destinations. As a member of the Society, you will have access to an entire portfolio of properties around the globe. The Foley Food and Wine Society offers an exclusive opportunity to join like-minded individuals who seek to experience the finer things in life. Join for free today by visiting FoleyFoodAndWineSociety.com. That's FoleyFoodAndWineSociety.com. We will take a break. When we come back, more on Game 2. Get you set for Game 3, which is right around the corner. And uh, talk a little bit about Alex Petrangelo, who certainly made an impact in Game 2 and continues to do throughout these playoffs. He's Shane Knighty. I'm Brian McCormick. You're listening to Nighttime at Noon on Fox Sports Las Vegas. We're back to Nighttime at Noon on your home for the Vegas Golden Knights, Fox Sports Las Vegas. Golden Knights fans, VGK Authentics is the official home for all game-used Vegas Golden Knights merchandise. From game-used pucks to game-worn jerseys and much, much more, owning a piece of your favorite Golden Knights player has never been so easy. Check out all the great items on VGK Authentics by visiting VegasTeamStore.com. That's VegasTeamStore.com. With Shane Knighty, I'm Brian McCormick. Dakota Miller is over in Mission Control, and he's keeping an eye on the Twitter bot because you can send questions to the show with the hashtag Nighttime at Noon. Dakota, that's correct, isn't it? Yep, that's correct. That's correct. So chirp at Dakota. He will tell us, and then Shane will answer all your questions because I am not qualified. Uh, I don't know if I am. 
<laughs> well, it depends, I suppose. Yeah. Astrophysics, direct them to me, and I'll lie yes. to you. Hockey, Shane Knight will give you the right answer. Um, Shane, we talked a lot about Game 2. One of the things that was really has been fun about going to uh, VGK games in person, I'm getting a sense of the fan base and the uh, the atmosphere and the oh. energy, and there's a ton of it. Um, Nick Holden, who has was you know in that 6-7 defensive spot much of the year, he's having a pretty good playoff offensively. Uh, it's fun to hear the buzz in the building every time Nick Holden gets the puck on his stick with space. It's like a, somehow it's like Aaron Judge sitting on a 3-1 pitch. <laughs> but you know there, there's an expectation for offense from the back end from the fan base. Right now Alex Petrangelo is cool. delivering it, and he's, uh, he's showing why he got a cup in St. Louis and why he was so sought after this past summer. And it comes off, and it's hard really to explain because, you know, the Certainly the expectations are high when you sign a player of that magnitude for that amount of money. And uh, Petrangelo came in, and it's a tough season when you play in one organization for so long to adjust to that next one. There's mm -hmm. a time period, and then got injury, had COVID, so it was a little bit of up and down, but at times you could see his game. And it's one of those players that you just, I felt, and a lot of others talked to, just once he hit playoffs, he has that ability to, you know, flip the switch. Yeah. And just another level he's been on. I, best player, I thought, in the Colorado series and the best Golden Knight through these first two games uh, against Montreal. He has been dominant. Um, the offense wasn't there early, but now it's been there the last two games, which, hey, we'll take it. Um, but he just he has an impact on so many parts of the game. And I, I think every show I come on and I marvel at it because I just to me it's fun to watch the, his ability to move around the ice and the way he, he – He's, I said he impacts He impacts breakouts, either with his first pass or his ability to be an option. He impacts transition, the neutral zone, the speed, because he gets up the ice so quick. He becomes an option there. And then he's an option in the offensive zone. He can either control the play or he's so good at getting lost, breaking, or he pinches down at the right time. Um, and then defensively, he's on top of it. So uh, it's just about every element of the game uh, he's been able to be you know, a dominant player at, and that's that's been just – so impressive to watch. And now on top of it, he's the guy putting the puck in the net uh, with a couple last night. So certainly a huge player for the Golden Knights and a guy that recognizes a veteran player who's won, has been there before, understands what it takes at this time of the year, and you're certainly seeing it from uh, number seven. And Alex Petrangelo did have some comments post-game last night. Again, a little bit of frustration with the start, but let's hear what Alex Petrangelo had to say. Yeah, I mean, it's been a topic of conversation here for uh... – little while last series too so uh something we gotta continue to talk about and fix uh not good enough at the beginning not good enough uh in the first period and you can see when we get to our game what we can do but uh not good enough from the start and you know there's that, that leadership Seems to be a voice. theme here yeah <laughs> well they know <laughs> it's it's not something they're not aware of um but what's interesting is and is you've touched to uh to it is that no one player on any team can do anything single-handedly. It's going to take 20 guys. But Alex Petrangelo, as a defenseman on the back end, he's always around the puck. He, he's the reason their breakouts have the kind of tempo that they have when he's on the ice. Um, he does seem to be and does seem to realize he is the kind of person who can bear some of the burden of like, hey, we need to be better in first periods. Well, in game three, I expect to see an impactful Alex Petrangelo in, in the first period. And you want more guys like that. And, and that comes with guys that recognize and want to be that guy. They, they want the puck. They want to be a difference maker. And it, it takes more than just one guy. You, you need to, everybody on that bench, everybody on the ice. When your turn comes, your name is called. You want to be that guy in the same fashion. And it's playing to your strengths. Because not 
Not every defenseman can play like Alex Petrangelo. We wish we could, <laughs> um, but they, they're certainly. It's unfair to ask that of people. It's unfair to ask that. <laughs> but guys need to elevate their game, and that's what uh, the elite players do. They elevate their game for these big moments, and, and that's what playoffs is about. He's been able to do it, and certainly it's good that, you know, he, we've heard it from him, the coach, I think Mark Stone, the, the, the recognition of their starts. It's going to be imperative for them to fix that and, and to move forward, and, um, and these are the type of guys that are going to lead the way. And, of course, Alex Petrangelo in game two also getting shots through, which was not an easy thing to do. Yeah. But we talked so much about the offense that came from the back end in game one. Not all that different in game two. Shea Theodore was a little bit more prolific in game one, but the the point I noticed is, and I think the best example was the Alec Martinez chance that came off of a Petrangelo feed. From the circles up, there's so much movement when the Vegas Golden Knights are doing things well. It's almost cyclical high in the zone. And that opens things up. And when you have Theodore, when you have Petrangelo, when you have Alec Martinez, I think the offense from the back end in game one, it wasn't just a happy coincidence. No, it's it's that kind of dynamism that opens things up and creates those opportunities it wasn't just a it wasn't a, a, a bug it's a feature and you have to have that that's the way to generate offense when you're playing against teams that like to shut it down you've got to create some separation you've got to create some space and player movement in the ozone is what's going to do that that's going to open up some plays uh, you have to have awareness though on defensive teams that can turn it over so you know forwards have to realize they're going to back up their defensemen when they're moving but i think that in-zone movement has really become you know, you watch the good teams do it. That That's what you have to. And uh, the element of having your defensemen activate and move into the play and, and being given the green light to be part of it has really become a trend in the NHL over the past few years because, you know, teams, it, it's, a, it's a league that really adjusts. Everybody watches, everybody coaches look and think and you know you can go back from the days where it was everybody got into the trapping and slowing the game down and then it was fast and you know there's a time when you didn't see just maybe one d-man or two on a team that would really jump into the play but as you mentioned nick holden you can go right down the list they're all encouraged to be part of offense yeah. that's today's game that's today's nhl if you want to try and break through what is a blocking league which is a collapsing league in the defensive zone where they get there you've got to try and create space and having your defense come down on pinches that movement in zone, that's what opens things up. It's got to come from up front as well, though. If it's just going to be the back end it producing does. offense, it's going to be a tough series. With that, when you almost when you look at the, the progression of last night's game, where they got better as the game went along, and then in the third period, they had their opportunities. They had the puck on their stick. They just That was the point where they didn't have the final answer for, for Carey Price. But I thought the one line that actually was traditionally intact was the Marcia So, Riley Smith, uh, William right. Carlson line. And I thought that the Canadians kept them pretty well in check until the third period where things started to open up for them as well. It was, was perhaps the, uh, the shuffling of the rest of the lineup. Did that give Montreal a chance to hone in more on that line, or was it just a night where they had a hard time finding space? I think it was just a night where they had a hard time finding space, and not every night's going to be you know the one you're on. I think yeah. you know they put a lot of pressure. Certainly those top players are – you know, starting to feel it now that, hey, we got to come through. You've got to be the difference maker. And I know we're going to talk around the league. You look at Tampa in game two, that's who came through for them. Um, your top guys need to come through. And, 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 yeah, there's pressure with it, but uh, that's part of the gig. Yeah. Uh, that's part of it. It just they're top players, the guys that are expected to produce. You need them. The guys need to shut down. you got to play to your role. And, and on that, the other area that talked about their starts, their power play needs to start finding yeah. a way to, to produce some goals. And, and – well, we got a little time in this segment. What what's something that that can be done? Is it 
a matter of getting shots through. Is that is that where it starts? I think it starts. Uh, they've got to win a faceoff. They need to start with the puck. I yeah. think uh, Montreal's. You know, they they had a great penalty killing, a very dangerous penalty kill. Uh, that is, you know, put up shorthanded goals here in playoffs. Uh, is a struggle for, you know, you look ask Toronto Maple Leafs or the Winnipeg Jets. The Canadians' uh, penalty kill is very good, and uh, they like to attack up ice. So if you can start with possession, I think that is so important. The Golden Knights, when they get set up, they're able to create some plays, um, but they spend a lot of time getting to that point. Right. So uh, the easiest way is, uh, you know, face off. And I mentioned they're missing Chandler Stevenson last yeah. game. Is trying to find a way, and then it's confidence. Uh, don't try and overcomplicate. Don't force plays. Take what's given to you. May start with just a simple shot, and that may open up some seam plays. And if you lose that first faceoff, there's 20 seconds yeah. right there. It's a tough way to get started. Well, we will take a break, but when we come back, we'll continue this conversation, but also look around the rest of the league, that Tampa Bay-New York Islanders series, which almost kind of feels like the structure of this series reversed, <laughs> where the Islanders shut down game one, the, the Lightning skill found its footing in game two, but we will discuss. And also talk about some of the uh, the coaching decisions and some landing in new uh, addresses, and Rob Brendamore looks like he's sticking around in Raleigh. That's all straight ahead. Nighttime at noon, Brian McCormick and Shane Knighty here with you on Fox Sports Las Vegas. Live from City National Arena, this is Nighttime at Noon on Fox Sports Las Vegas. Back on Fox Sports Las Vegas, Nighttime at Noon, Brian McCormick with Shane Knighty. Dakota Miller is waiting for your questions on Twitter with the hashtag Nighttime at Noon, so send them his way. We've talked a lot about uh, Game 3, which is upcoming tomorrow night for the Vegas Golden Knights and the Montreal Canadiens, which will be interesting, Shane, because you're going to go from uh, for the Vegas Golden Knights playing really five of their last six games in an electric factory to a Bell Center that is going to be scantily filled. Uh, and, well, we saw that Montreal had no problem yeah. adjusting to the noise of a full building. Will be an adjustment for Vegas going back to a, a largely empty building well it'll be largely empty but it'll still be a good atmosphere uh, it's better than no fans right. uh, which is uh, the rest of the the canadian teams i don't think we're going to be allowed so if you're going to play somewhere you'd like to have some sort of atmosphere and they'll have they'll have an atmosphere those 3500 will give everything they have in montreal i had a couple of them sitting around me last night they'll be loud enough yeah. no question uh you know what's interesting i don't know if you do this i've been kind of racking my brain watching this montreal team which again you look what they did against Toronto, where they were the underdog and took care of business yeah. the hard way, but did so. Probably had an easier time with the Winnipeg series than most would have expected. The Shifley suspension yeah. has a large, large part of that. Uh, and, and how they're going to manage this series. I try to think, like, okay, what's a team in recent memory that this reminds me of? What's a, a comparable? And you're going to have a perfect comparison. The team I kept coming back to, tell me if I'm dead wrong, I've been thinking a lot about the 2012 New Jersey Devils, which was a Pete DeBoer coach team that worked its way to the Stanley Cup final against the the, uh, the L.A. Kings. Now, it's not a perfect comparison. That was no. a Devils team that had 102 points yeah. and had Kovalchuk and Parisi. It's not a perfect comparison. But it is a team that had to really fight its way through a first round against Florida that went to Game 7. They had to come back from a 3-2 deficit, cleaned up Philadelphia in five games relatively easily, and then against the Rangers took care of business. You can almost say it was a team that wasn't favored in any of their series except perhaps Florida, which was their toughest one. But again managed games and got out in front and, and in a Lou Lamorello style, I yeah. guess, managed games. And you can kind of see Montreal with a little bit less firepower up front kind of having to do it the same way. Uh, yeah, or I think better just because, what, were they 18th overall this year in points? Yeah. So I think of, uh, was it 2012 Kings? Finished yeah. eight, eight down three games to none, come back, beat San Jose. Uh, you know, just 
climb their way to the final and end up winning their first cup. So, uh, you know, there's always certain teams. To, but to me, I, I just I would be comparable to a team yeah. that, you know, had a tough regular season, just just got into playoffs, and then all of a sudden they find their game. Yeah. Interesting. Same playoff, different ends of the spectrum. I like that. Well, to speak of the playoff picture we see now, of course, the Tampa Bay Lightning and New York Islanders will have game three at Nassau Coliseum. Talk about good atmospheres. That one's probably going to yeah. be rocking at uh, 5 p.m. our time. Uh, and a bit of a, an interesting first two games for them in Tampa Bay where the Islanders really suffocated things in game one. And then in Tampa, we saw the, the skill find some room to, to move uh, in game two and, and establish themselves. Where does that series sit going into game three? It's going to be a tight series, and I think you're right. I watch, I'll probably watch again tonight. Game one, I, I thought the Islanders certainly – were able to impose their game plan more on the Tampa Bay Lightning. Tampa tried to force too many plays, try to get a little too cute. When you do that against a team like the Islanders, you're going to turn it over. I don't like was that Tampa play bad. They just mentally were bad yeah. uh, with their decisions, uh, which is so important this time of the year. And that just feeds right into you know the Islanders. They're like they they eat that up. They'll they'll take it. They'll get their lead. Good goaltending, strong defensive. And Andre Vasilevsky gives yeah. up a goal that he probably only gives exactly. up once a series. So, uh, you know, credit to the Islanders, but then it's the adjustments. Tampa Bay recognized it. Their skilled came through. Their top guys came through. Kucherov, three goals. You just really saw, you know, their ability to take over that game. And uh, uh, I know Islanders scored late, but still Tampa was in control. I, I felt, the you know, that that's the team. They're, those stars are so dangerous. Uh, Braden Point, uh, you know, what a playoff he's been, although Barzell on the other side has been terrific here yeah. as of late after a slow start in the postseason um, but certainly a high-end talent for for the Tampa Bay Lightning but uh, this Islanders team really you know they embody the word team and, and that's what it takes everybody does but they, they, they have to play a certain way for them to be successful and uh, they did in game one and they'll have I think what's the crowd they're going to expecting 12,978 at the Coliseum that place will be shaking tonight I think it's the next best atmosphere to to Vegas um, so it'll be interesting to see how they play in front of that home crowd. The older buildings still can rattle, and sometimes you don't mind that. Uh, the Game 2 conversation, a lot of it post-game, was, was officiating discussions. Yeah. Uh, first was the Braden Point penalty where he was cross-checked uh, into semi Not a penalty. Uh, he was called for goaltender interference, yeah. uh, which led directly to a Brock Nelson goal. Then Barry Trotz was upset on the second Tampa Bay goal. He thought there should have been a too-many-men call. If you look at the replay, should have been. But it's also a two-man scenario that's about 20 feet behind the puck here. Anyway, it doesn't really influence the play. Uh, and then I saw, I think it was Paul Bizonette posted it, but somebody posted it. On the Islanders' second, second goal. goal, there was also too many men, which to me, you know, well, b before that, your, your thoughts on uh, how that discussion should be taking place uh, officiating-wise. Well, it's, uh, it's always a discussion on the officiating. It always has been, always will be, and will continue. Uh I don't know if anybody's ever happy with it. I thought that game was a, an example of yes, they missed some calls. It's going to happen. We have we have the we're very fortunate, you know, in what I do and as viewers or fans of the game of replays, of angles, of slowing down, of this and that. For a guy who calls games and used to be on the ice, but even calls it now, the game is much quicker. It is fast. It is impossible to always pick up every single yeah. thing on the ice. Uh, I think these guys do the. You know, the best job they can. Um, that said, uh, yeah, the, the Braden Point, Pellick, if anybody was good at penalty, it should have been Pellick. Uh, he pushed him, cross-checked Point, who went flying into Var Varlamov and 
Uh, but they, of course, point get called, and I knew they'd score. The Islanders score there, and certainly there was the too many men. Was it should have been called? It did not, as you mentioned, influence the goal whatsoever. But they clearly had six guys on the ice, and the same thing happened. Although the goal didn't mean anything at that point yeah. by the Islanders late in the game, uh, they had too many men, which by the rule book would have should have been a penalty. They were missed. Uh, to me, the first two kind of knock each other off so everybody should be happy <laughs> these are the kind of conversations where the, the whole new york saints thing yeah, comes yeah, from yeah. <laughs> which is the which new york saints i love that by the way just every single postseason from some team somewhere you need some sort of comment in a press conference that can turn into a t-shirt you need some I, sort yeah, of it's great we'll remember new york saints for a couple of years now and it'll be a good time but what i also thought to myself is does barry trotz even know about the too many men call on that second goal he might have picked up on it himself because he was on the bench looking at the iPad yelling. Yeah. But I'm sure he also had somebody sitting up in the catwalk video looking coach. at calling down, hey, there's too many men. Yeah, the video coach would have been right on that. They're the guys that watch for goaltender interference, offside challenges, all those things. They're right on marking everything in the game. And it goes to usually goes to an earpiece to one of the assistants who right. will walk down and tell the head coach, Barry Trotz, probably Lane Lambert, who has the, the, the wire in. And... Uh, yeah, but by the time you get it, it's too late. You can't challenge on that. At least I hope we're not getting to that point where we're going to review yep. every single play. Uh, I know people talk about it, and that discussion will continue as well about how much review and what's a, what's reviewable, what's not, what should be. I think you, you know, there's an element of it. you got to just leave it to the game. And um, But, yeah, Barry Trotz certainly be – you know, you can show them all you want afterwards. I'm sure right. that's exactly what uh, they they do have on-site officials who, you know, watch from upstairs, and it will be conversation with those guys on the ice afterwards. You miss this, this, and this. They look at the game just like players do uh, and have their coaches show them things they could do better and, you know, some criticism, some things that they did well. Same things happens to the officials. And, and Shane, I, the reason I say I bring that up even is it's a chain reaction. Ten, ten years ago. Does Barry Trotz know it's too many men without someone coming from up above? Do the television cameras know it's too many men without seeing Barry Trotz lose it on the bench? Are we talking about this at all? Without, not. without a, a Perhaps, we don't know how Trotz found out, but a video coach upstairs. And to that point, think about when the offsides reviews started. How many goals get called back now on plays that would have never been reviewed? Which means there were a lot more missed offsides than we ever realized. Oh, for sure. I there don't was. for a second think that if we brought review into too many men, every change is kind of amorphous. How many goals are you get called back on too many men plays that have nothing to do with the sequence of events? I have a hard time believing that there wouldn't be a huge spike in that where now it's wasn't a problem we really knew about until two days and, ago. And we want to keep the offense up. You don't want to keep slowing you don't want it, the game is at such a great pace right now, you don't want to slow it down. Yeah. Um, I think that's that's something that you know the league certainly is aware of, and they'll recognize it. And you know, it's it's but it's become popular, and fans have their opinions, and they and they want to express them. And certainly, uh, if you're on the wrong side of something that's missed as a fan, uh, you're going to be very vocal about it. Uh, that said, it, these are things that you know. And it was a while ago since I played. Yeah, they they didn't get reviewed. You know, a goal went in that they didn't even review of. I think I probably would have had 20 more in my career. But, you know, somebody, there's a lot of phantom tips in front. Uh, <laughs> guys pointing to their number. Oh, I got it. I got a piece of it. I Yeah, now they can look at it. Back then, they didn't. And it was just uh, taken for granted, and, and away you went. So, no one shot for redirects you know, like Shane Knight. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that said, uh, 
it's just part of the evolution of the game. Everything uh, with technology, it's it's part more of the more talks become because of it. Because of it. Well, that gamesmanship, I'm sure, will continue in Game 3 again. That's going to be on uh, on USA Network at 5 p.m., it looks like, for Game 3, Lightning and Islanders. Uh, more league news. They announced the three finalists for the GM of the Year Award. Uh, Bill Zito in Florida, Lou Lamarillo with the Islanders, and Mark Bergevin with the Montreal Canadiens. Three names are pretty hard to argue with. You, you could... Of course, swapping other names that you think yeah. are worthy, but it's hard to remove any of those three for what they did this year. Absolutely. I put Kelly McCrimmon's name in there. Yeah. I think there's a lot of teams that great moves, and you look at these teams that uh, were able to do that. A real breakout year for Florida. Zito there for the first time. Lou Lamarillo, of course, Hall of Famer. Uh, what he's been able to do everywhere. He's done you know, the construction of teams. And, and Mark Bergevin, we, we're seeing the Canadian side. Yeah. Uh, you know, some real, like, subtle moves. They got, you know, veteran players, Eric Stahl. They brought in some real character uh, Corey Perry, Corey who Perry. You know, up and down regular season was on waivers at one point. Now has been, you know, so important here. He's a guy that recognizes it. You know, he won early in his career back in 07. Hasn't won since. That's a long time, 14 yeah. years. It doesn't come. If it comes at all, it's very rare. And you've got to embrace that opportunity. So, yeah, three, uh, three worthy finalists. There's certainly some guys I could see in there as well, but uh, we'll see who comes out on top. It's an interesting award, I think, too, because we're awarding it often based on the results of this season. And Kelly McCrimmon's a great example, who Kelly McCrimmon not only made good moves this season, but he also managed a very challenging salary cap situation, as did other GMs in this strange pandemic year. But for the GM of the Year Award, often the results of what you've done as a general manager, you don't necessarily see them two months later. Sometimes yeah. you see them two or three years exactly. later. Should we be awarding this? You know, sh should I give credit to someone for this year's award based on a trade that they made in 2018 that just started to flesh out well, now? You, you'd, I don't know who you'd call on that, but maybe you should get in and, and have your, your voice heard. You'd be shocked how, how they don't answer my phone no. calls there. But <laughs> it's a very interesting award, I think, because it's a very uh, th there's a very elaborate way you can uh, assess someone year by year. Uh, coaching carousel, we saw Gerard Gallant landed in yep. New York. We saw... Uh, was it? Well, what I want to talk to you about is Brad Larson, who's yeah, got the head Brad job in, in Columbus now. Longtime assistant in Columbus, very well thought of in Columbus. So if you follow the Blue Jackets closely, probably, I don't want to say not surprised, but he's certainly a name that, that you know and you're familiar with. For other people around the league who saw some of the big splashy names out there, Rick Tockett also interviewed with Columbus, they might be like, well, why Brad Larson? You played with Brad Larson in Atlanta, and you know him uh, very well. So what can you, uh, as a character yeah. witness for Brad real, Larson? Well, real good understanding of the game. He was always one of those players that was, you know, big into the X's and O's. Uh, he was kind of more of a defensive role, PK guy. Uh, I know he had control of that, ran the power, the penalty kill in Columbus. Uh, and, you know, I'm a big John Tortorella fan, and so mm -hmm. is Brad Larson. Uh, you know, I remember having a discussion with him how much he learned from Tortorella. I think the big difference with Brad Larson is he brings – uh, you know, a different approach, a different voice, and a different way of communication, yeah. um, which is so important in today's game, your ability to communicate not only with your team but individually with the guys. And there's a certain way to do it, to, to feel their pulse, to understand each and every guy individually and, and what makes them tick. Uh, you know, what's it going to take to get the most out of that player? And I think Brad has a real good you know, concept of his of a group and, and how they need to be handled. He's going to be tough. He's going to be fair. There's going to be a little Tortorella in him. He's mm -hmm. been with him for six, seven years. Um, and he even said uh, how impactful John Tortorella was on Got him. How much respect. Yeah, very, very close, those two. Uh, you know, not only them, their families. Uh, so I think it's a great opportunity for Brad. I think he's a guy that uh, 
you know, you're, you're seeing, you know, you see kind of both. You see the youthful coaches. You see guys that uh, have been around getting opportunity, which are deserved, like Gerard Gallant. But I think this is a good opportunity for Larson with a team, you know, that's got some young talent. They got Patrick Lyonet. He's a he's a he's a worldly talent with his shooting. Having covered him in Winnipeg. Um, but you've got to find out what makes him tick, and that'll be a challenge there. He's got some good young defense, and we'll see what happens with Seth Jones. But I think he's a guy who will embrace the challenge and is really looking forward to it. Is there also a benefit for a guy who's been an assistant for so long? You know, usually the assistant is the guy that co- that, that players can go to if they don't want to go directly to the head coach. It can be almost a, a liaison. So now he's the head guy. He probably has a very, very good personal relationship with a lot of the guys on that roster who have been there for part of his tenure. A good relationship and a good understanding of them because uh, usually the assistant coach will spend a little bit more time. So uh, you've seen it in other times where it hasn't worked out, uh, and sometimes it does. Dominic Ducharme for uh, the Montreal Canadiens, same type of thing. He got moved up from being the assistant. But I think uh, you know there's certainly some things that will change in the way he deals with the players. It won't be – the same as an assistant coach, you, you have to change a little bit, but I think he'll carry a lot of those relationships with him and, and the way he handles and understands those players into the head coach position. And then Rod Rendvor signed a yeah. three-year extension with the Hurricanes. Of about course. time. But, but <laughs> about time, but at the same time, you had to figure whatever leverage there is in that conversation had to be a guy that the Hurricanes did not want to let go. Well, they had to – and here's the thing. I heard discussion about this over the last couple of days – you know, when are they going to sign Ron Brindamore? You know, what he's done in Carolina, what he's meant to that organization since going there as a player in 2000 and, yeah. you know, the captain of the Stanley Cup winning team and now coaching them, the, you know, the winningest record in the time he's been there for, for the Hurricanes. I think he's developed a really good culture. The players love him. He's up for the Jack Adams, which gets announced today. Yeah. It's funny they signed him this morning because <laughs> – you know, price, you, you don't want to let that go, and he, you know, he wins the Jack Adams. It's like, yeah, this should yeah. have been done a long time ago. It kind of, you know, it puzzles me a bit that it took this line long, but it's good for for that organization. Uh, Don Waddell announcing it today, and uh, you know, Rod Brendamere. I don't think he wanted to go anywhere else. He could have if he wanted. Uh, he has a pretty good friend in Ron Francis out in Seattle, which yeah. I'm sure was waiting to see what would happen with Rod before he makes, uh, you know, his coaching decision for the Kraken. Um, but yeah, Carolina, the, this team, uh, they're, they're a good team and they're going to be good for a while. They play a real up-tempo, hard-working, uh, you know, style of, of hockey that, uh, really, you know, kind of is built off of the way Rod Brindamore played. Yeah. Uh, no, a lot of people have had tricky contract negotiations in Carolina lately, but Rod Brendamore yeah. gets his done. And now with uh, Gallant off the board, Brendamore off the board, that Seattle Kraken coaching search becomes a little more interesting. Sounds like they've talked a little bit more to Rick Tockett over the last couple of days, but uh, that pond's starting to shrink a little bit too for Ron Francis to make a decision. Well, there's still some names out there. you got Bruce Boudreaux. you got John Tortorella we yeah. just talked about. Um, you know, Rick Tockett, did they go in another direction? Do they go? There's some young up-and-coming coaches. It'll be interesting, uh, you know, how Ron Francis really uh, plays – how this all plays out for him, but he'll certainly have more than enough good options. And the Coyotes still looking for their head coach too, I believe. So still vacancies to be filled. We'll hop out. When we come back, we'll wrap things up on this Thursday edition of Nighttime at Noon. Brian McCormick, Shane Knighty here with you on Fox Sports Las Vegas. We're back to Nighttime at Noon on your home for the Vegas Golden Knights, Fox Sports Las Vegas. 
VGK fans, Rock Creek Cattle Company is a hidden gem located in the heart of Montana. This 28,000-acre cattle ranch has something for everyone, a world-class golf course, fly fishing, hunting, horseback riding, and more. Escape the bright lights and discover Big Sky Montana. Exclusive memberships and real estate opportunities are available now. Visit rockcreekcattlecompany.com. That's rockcreekcattlecompany.com for more information. I am Brian McCormick. He is Shane Knighty. We are wrapping up this Thursday afternoon edition of Nighttime at Noon. Uh, and, Shane, Game 3 will be tomorrow night, a 5 o'clock puck drop here in uh, in Vegas. And I think, we again, we've seen what Montreal can do well and must do well, but we still haven't seen the Vegas Golden Knights assert themselves at the start, and that really seems to be the, the theme of what uh, this series has been thus far. Absolutely. That's going to be an important part for the Golden Knights to, to find a way to get to their game really early. And, you know, sometimes it can happen on the road. There's not as much pressure with the fans. Uh, you know, we'll see if Montreal feeds off uh, the fans they have there. But I, I, I think this series comes down to the Golden Knights, really. If they want, they can't beat themselves. Mm -hmm. They've got to go out and play their game. We, we've seen it time and time again over a long stretch throughout this season, throughout this playoffs. They believe in one another. They're resilient. They've had have the ability to bounce back after a game they're not happy with. And I don't think they were totally displeased with last game. I heard Pete DeBoer said he liked the last 40. Uh, but the first 20 is the, the area they want to address and make sure it gets better. Uh, that's going to be important. Try and try, Sometimes simplify your game when you're on the road. And I think against a team like Montreal, that, that's exactly what they need to do is smart decisions with the puck lead to puck possession. Uh, and that's, you know, not turnovers. Don't force plays. Um, and utilize your speed, get that four check going is so important. Try and get the power play working. Um, and, you know, goaltending has been good throughout. I don't have a question there. Um, but I think uh, Vegas has another level they can get to, and no better time than game three. Sometimes in this weird COVID season, it's been such a, a strange year, even schedule-wise. Some of our narratives sometimes feel like we're forcing them, but we <laughs> talked a lot about the, the Nick Suzuki, Max Pacioretty yeah. dynamic heading into the series. Beyond that, Max Petrae's had a great playoff. He is going back to Bell Center now, so not just playing the Canadians, but now going back to Montreal uh, for a big couple of games. I wonder if he's got something special up his sleeve. I hope so. I, I think he should. This is, you know, as a competitor, as an athlete, as a player, you always want to go back and, and show that former team. I had more than enough opportunity to do it. I don't know if I could put the goals, but you do. You want to, you know, prove, oh, you, you missed out on me or, or whatever it is. That That's what drives competitors is having that mentality anything you can pull a little you know fire from it's it's always advantageous and I think uh, patch ready I I think this could be a good couple games for him certainly being back in the Bell Center just a little bit ago they announced the uh, the watch parties for game three and yes. four tomorrow game three a 5 p.m. puck drop at uh, Bell Center the watch party for the Vegas crowd will be at money baby inside the all-new Virgin Hotel have you been I haven't but I will I'm looking forward to it. Uh, money baby. Money baby. Money baby. Money, comma, baby, Hotel. exclamation. Perfect. Money baby. Yeah, so that's going to be the place to be for game three. Uh, any predictions for game three? Was worked the crystal good, ball. I'm not a good <laughs> predictions guy, but uh, I, I, I think – I don't think. I know they're going to win this game. Uh, I don't have an exact score, and I think Pacioretty's going to get a goal. Okay. You know they're going. I look forward to all the, the Shane gonna, Knighty guarantees be, all over the yeah. front of the morning paper tomorrow. <laughs> I got I got the four one. All right, four one tomorrow. Shane Knighty says, and well, tomorrow on this program, uh, Darren Millard and Darren Elliott will have the reins, and then they can uh, make a prediction of their own. But we'll we'll see if four one holds up, and uh, we'll see what the line is for King three <laughs> when that when that comes out. But uh, Shane, a lot of fun this afternoon. Appreciate hanging out with you. Yeah, and, it's uh, nice. 
finally got uh, we've been doing the the rotating uh, cast here it's nice to to work together enjoyed it and uh, i'm excited excited as these playoffs move around along and uh, i know the fans certainly are they're passionate so hey gotta remember it doesn't always happen quick it's it's a long one it's a marathon to get to where you need to be and the year we've been having the more hockey the better let's go as long as we possibly can but uh pete DeBoer disagrees he'd like to wrap this one up <laughs> in five and the vegas Golden knights will try to take their next step tomorrow night at bell center so once again thank you for joining us nighttime at noon with shane knighty dakota miller and george lopez on the other side of the glass this has been nighttime at noon stay tuned for the doug gottlieb show coming up next on fox sports las vegas